Welcome to the 50th episode of the Headkick KO podcast. Today we are doing a breakdown of UFC 269. That was a tremendous card. There's going to be a lot to talk about, so we're going to get right to it. Obviously, we are going to start at the main event, which was headlined by Dustin Poirier and Charles Oliveira. Now, the first round was a tremendous round for Dustin Poirier. He landed 56 headshots in that first round, and he was setting himself up very nicely. He had a knockdown. He really was dominating that first round. And watching that first round, you really got the feeling that um, Charles really couldn't do much to Dustin. And um, I think there was one, I don't want to call it a takedown attempt, but there was one time where, I guess it was a full takedown attempt, where Oliver got him the clinch. And Dustin um, did not get taken down, so that was his best round grappling as well. However, in that round, Charles Oliveira once again showed no quits. Um, he got knocked down. He came back. He And throughout this round where Dustin Poirier was landing so many solid, solid strikes, Charles Oliveira still put in a lot of work. He was throwing some front kicks to the body. He was throwing, he was throwing some elbows. He was throwing some knees to the body. And he had some really nice shots that landed that I think could have played a role um, if this fight went longer than three rounds, and it, and it could have played a role in, in the fight itself um, because he was laying the groundwork with some really, really nice body shots and investing um, in those in case that fight went deep into the fourth and fifth round, which for Charles is a tremendous strategy for when you're on the feet. And on the... And then... In the second round, Oliver gets gets a takedown, and a lot of people were upset over a glove grab by Oliveira. I I didn't see it. I think there might have been a slight hook um, initially, um, not enough to really cause anything. But then I think after that, it went to wrist control. Um, I think the majority of the time where they were in the position where people have the alleged glove grab, I think 99% of, of that control um, is wrist control and and not finger in the glove. So I'm I'm not really too worried about that right now. Um, and then from right after that sequence where there there was the glove grab, um, alleged. Well, I guess I shouldn't say alleged because there was an initial glove gla- glove grab and then a transition into wrist control. He had the glove for less than a second. Um, but regardless, he used that um, that wrist control to transition. Um, and, and got on top, and once he got on top, Dustin Poirier really um, wasn't going to go anywhere, um, and I think that's obviously strategy. Um, I'm not going to say he couldn't get up, but uh, he didn't want to take the risks um, required to get up. He didn't want to open that guard and give Charles, Oper- Charles Oliveira the opportunity to pass into some advantageous positions, um, so he, he let Charles win that round and if you're Dustin that's not a bad thing to do once um you can let Charles win a round um especially when you bag the first one so fully and that that means you pretty much have three more rounds you got to win two of the last three 
And for Dustin, he I imagine he was thinking he could go out there and wins win, excuse me. He could go out there and win rounds four or five. So I don't think it was a terrible strategy. And then the third round kicks off and it, it started to play out very similarly to that third round. And um in the sense where Charles had some really found some success early grappling. And Charles was able to transition to the back. He got on the back standing, um, and he was able to finish the fight. Absolutely tremendous finish for Charles Oliveira, and adds another great finish to his resume with finishes over a third-round finish over Dustin Poirier, a second-round knockout over Michael Chandler, a third-round submission of Kevin Lee, um, and that's just out of his last four fights. And the only other fight um, in that sequence where he didn't find a finish was Tony Ferguson, who is one of the hardest fighters um, to finish. So Charles is really, really cementing his legacy as, as a very strong champion right now. And he, he, he did that in this fight because a lot of people didn't necessarily like the Oliveira and Chandler title fight. Um, a lot of people wanted Poirier in that, and a lot of people believed Poirier was the best lightweight in the world. Um, and Oliveira proved those people proved to those people that he is the best lightweight in the world at the moment. So I think that really cemented his legacy and kind of um, is forcing is demanding respect. Not to say people didn't respect him. But he was underestimated a little going into this fight, I feel like. And what is next for Charles Oliveira? It's pretty simple. Um, he's obviously going to fight Justin Gaethje. This has been one of the few fights where Dana White, after the fact, has said, he came out and said, yeah, yeah, Gaethje makes sense. So that fight is barring an injury, barring, you know, someone demanding an absurd amount of money, you know, there's there's a very few hurdles left um, prior to making this Gaethje and Oliveira championship fight. However, the bigger question is what is next for Justin Poirier? Justin Poirier is in an interesting position, being, in my mind, he really has three routes, right? There are, th- are three routes Justin Poirier could take. And before I go a little bit more in depth on each route, um, I have I um I'll I'll tell you the three routes first. So um, two very similar where he is pursuing a championship belt. Um, sounds strange, but you'll get what I'm saying here. Um, first is him pursuing the belt at 155. Uh, the second is him pursuing the belt at 170, and the third is him doing money fights for right now. And I broke it down into those three categories because after the fight, Dustin Poirier in his post-fight press conference said, you know, um, I think I can get back to a championship fight. And the question is going to be, do I want that? Um, Do I want to put in the work to be a UFC champion? And he said that's a question he has to ask himself. And if the answer is yes, he does, um, he would fall under that that um 155 championship chase category um at the same time i wouldn't be surprised if he moves to 170 pounds um he is a big guy right 
By no means would he be the biggest in that division, but I think he would be bigger than some of those guys. I think he's bigger than Colby Covington, possibly. Um, Gilbert Burns is, is a big, strong guy, um, but he doesn't have the height. There's other guys who would be way taller than him, like a Wonder Boy. Um, Usman is going to be much, much more muscular than him, so he by no means would he be the biggest. Um, but, however, he is a big guy at 155, and, and he has expressed issues with the weight cut. Um, this this weight cut went pretty well, but um, the whole Connor thing, there was a lot of talk at the first fight happening at 170 pounds. And, you know, people have kind of forgotten about that. And I've always been interested in seeing Poirier move to 170 just because I feel like if... I feel like it gives him some some fresh competition he's already fought a lot of the top guys at 155 pounds um for example he just fought charles you know he has he's already fought gaichi you know and those are and those guys are going to be looking at a championship soon so um i wouldn't be surprised i think he can get a fast track to a title shot if he goes to 170 pounds. I think if he gets one win in the top five, top six at 170, I think they put him against Usman next. And I think that is something, if you're Poirier and you want that belt, I really think that is something that you have to consider. So, um, and then obviously the last category was the money fights. Um, if he decides, you know, I'm not really here for the, that for that championship chase right now, he could take a route similar to um, what Jorge expressed and and what kind of what he wanted to do to do, where he takes the Diaz fight, where you know it looks like he's going to pursue a Colby Covington fight, um, where there's a lot of different options for him and some big names who I assume would be interested in fighting him. So we're going to talk about those last. But first, the first category we will discuss, which is probably the most likely, in my opinion, um, is the title chase at 155 pounds. Now, this 155-pound top five is pretty well booked from here on out. Looking at that, we can assume that we are going to see Charles Oliveira versus Justin Gaethje next. And I assume that fight isn't going to happen until late, late spring, um, maybe early summer of next year you know um, a lot of guys especially a lot of these guys who fought in the December cards I imagine they're going to pack it up until after you know the holidays and they'll get back in the gym shortly after um, the new year so I imagine um, that's something that they're looking you know maybe March at the absolute earliest um, I wouldn't be surprised like I said April May June even even July I think would be a little bit a little bit further out than expected, but you never know depending on how the pay-per-view landscape works out. I think they will be a a main event, right? They'll be a main event of a pay-per-view barring a, um, you know, barring the UFC wanting to absolutely stack a card. Um, they will be the main event. And, you know, you've got other guys out there who need to get booked. You've got Usman, um, you know, they're doing the heavyweight in January. That's already booked. They've got to book that bantamweight. Um, maybe they put the bantamweight and the lightweight um, on the same card. That would be a good back-to-back. Um, regardless, we're kind of getting off track here, back on track. And then 
um, the top ranked guys in that division would be um, Justin Gaethje, who's fighting for the belt. And then you have Benil Daryush and Islam Makhlchev at 3-4, and four, who are booked to fight one another in February. So, you know, maybe the winner of that, uh, the winner of that fight is going to get a, the title shot after Oliveira and Gaethje, I'm, I'm assuming. So I don't necessarily think that that really makes any sense. So I think for me, I'm looking at Michael Chandler sitting at five. And that makes sense as he is the highest ranked guy who is not booked. It makes sense in the fact that in theory, that would be a fight of the year contender, right? That would be a five-round war, a three-round war, however the UFC wants to do it. Um, I think Poirier has gotten to the point where he's a five-round guy, even if he's um, not the main event. I think he enters that category, and I think there's a select few. I think it's Poirier, Masvidal, the Diaz brothers. Um, but I think Poirier, I wouldn't be surprised if he's, you know, the co-main of a pay-per-view and he is fighting five rounds. Or maybe he's um, the third fight down and he's got two title fights above him. Regardless, I think Chandler versus Dustin makes a lot of sense. Um, looking at the current landscape of the division. Um, and also you've got an outside shot at RDA, which I'm not really sure that that would happen. But I don't want to um, push that out of I don't want to I don't want to say that couldn't happen and then um we'll talk more about the other lightweights which I'm sure you are surprised I haven't said their name yet because Connor is obviously going to fall in the in the money section rather than the chase to the belt section which Connor and um that kind of intertwines there that, that those could play together but um, I'll, I'll talk later when we get to the money section about why Connor's in that section. Anyways, anyways, um, I think if he moves to 170, there's a lot more options, a lot more fun options, a lot less restrictions for him um, up there in terms of matchmaking because it's fresh faces. You know, I don't think he's fought any of these guys. I know some of these guys have had... Um, some of these guys have had spent time at 155, like Gilbert Burns, but some I'm pretty sure Burns and Poirier never fought. So even the guys who fought at one, even like Kiesa, even the guys who fought at 155, I don't think they ever matched up with Dustin Poirier. And if you look at um, Poirier moving up to that 170 pound division, right off the top, you've got Colby Covington number one who Colby and Dustin have been former training partners who no longer get along. Um, I imagine they do Colby versus Jorge, but um, if there's a fight that could break that up, um, you could, Poirier could come in, steal that Colby fight, and then you could work right back to Liana versus Jorge if you want to give Liana a fight before a title shot. I think you could do Usman versus uh, Leon right now and it would make sense but if you want to do a fight before Usman gets a title shot in that scenario you preserve Leon versus Jorge um, and then even number two Gilbert Burns versus Poirier I don't think that would be the direction that they go but I think that would be a an incredibly fun fight um, just based off how well-rounded both of those guys are looking at number three Leon Edwards versus Dustin Poirier 
that would almost be a certain title or almost certain to be a title eliminator there. Um, another tremendous fight looking at four Vicente Luque versus Dustin Poirier. That would once again be another title eliminator for both guys. Looking at number five, even Wonderboy. Wonderboy fights um, next weekend against Bilal Muhammad. Um, but if he gets a win, you know, Dustin Poirier versus Wonderboy kind of, you know, it, it it doesn't make sense in a way, but it, it's uh, it's such a strange matchup and a strange fight where um, Dustin Poirier is such an orthodox boxer, right, who, who mixes in some leg kicks and, and, and does some other things very, very well um, against a pure, I don't want to say pure karate guy, but someone who will stay on the outside and, and throw the ones and the twos and, and the flashy kicks. I think it would be a very interesting matchup. And then you have Jorge Masvidal at six. Jorge and Poirier will not fight because they're teammates. Excuse me. But um, regardless, anyone in that top five, I think, really perks my ears up and gets Dustin Poirier one fight away from a title shot. I'm not sure that you can say the same thing at 155 pounds. I don't think there's a scenario. Even if he goes and, and he knocks Chandler out, I think he's got to take one more before he, he gets back to the belt. So I think this would be a fast track. Um, he would be able to not cut as much weight. I think he would probably plan to add on some muscle. So, But I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. And looking at Colby, once again, Colby's the number one ranked guy. There's beef there. Colby isn't a an incredibly large uh, uh, welterweight. He's probably smaller than than all the other guys listed. So a Colby versus Poirier match would make sense because it's kind of an entry. And, and you can understand if you can deal with someone a little bit bigger than you usually see. Um, so I really like that fight. And, and I think that fight would be be really, really fun. And it'd be a fun one to see. And then the third section we laid out was the money fights. And I hit three names in the money fights. Two of them are like, oh, yeah, that's a money fight. And the third one, you're like, huh? Um, first one, obviously, is Connor. The Connor and Poirier fourth fight will always be there, right? And that's why I think it doesn't necessarily need to happen right away, especially when you look at when does Dustin Poirier want to get in there again. If Dustin says, you know, I don't want to fight till July or August, you know, maybe that fight makes a little bit more sense, you know? If he wants to wait until sometime during the summer and, and kind of will be ready by that point, then that fight makes more sense. Um, if he wants to get back in a little bit sooner, then you got to start looking at some of the previously listed options. And the other option there, Nate Diaz, who was always a money fight, but and, and they had history, you know. That fight could take place at 170. They had, they had a long history of that fight was supposed to happen. That fight was booked. Um... And it just fell through. Um, Poirier had to get surgery, so it didn't work out. But um, there has been some there has been some trash talk over the years where Diaz said he won that fight because Poirier Poirier didn't make the walk. Um, there was there was an uh, there was another thing that kind of happened there. I don't rem- remember the full history, but um, they were supposed to fight, and the UFC ran. It, ran the Habib and Connor trailer during their press conference and that really um, frustrated Nate so that fight kind of fell through a little bit more um, and and the last the last big fight was is Tony Ferguson I always think Tony Ferguson fights will interest people and I don't necessarily 
I don't necessarily think it's a money fight as, as much as it is a, a big name fight where the, the name Tony Ferguson will always spur interest. So that's why I threw it in this category. And even if you look at the rankings, I know the rankings don't mean everything, but even Tony is ranked ahead of Connor right now at 155 pounds. So um, I wouldn't be overly surprised if that happens. Um, well, in comparison to some of these other options, but um, this is a situation where we're going to have to watch this closely, right? Um, I th we're going to, because there's a lot of directions this can go, and, and I think all of them are very interesting. No matter what Dustin Poirier does in his, in his next fight, it's going to be interesting. And moving on from that, the next fight we are going to speak about is Amanda Nunes and Juliana Pena. This was another tremendous fight. Um, the first round, you know, the first round, it felt like Nunez was dominating, right? And she had some good top control. But there were some moments on the feet where, where Juliana was landing, and I'm like, oh, well, you know, that's Amanda Nunez. We're all good. That's all good. That's Amanda Nunez, you know? Um, it just didn't feel like it could happen. Um, and, she, and Amanda walked out of there with a 10-9 in round one. You move to round two, Pena started landing more. She started landing more, and you kind you kind of get this sense of like you can see Amanda who's starting to show show some signs of you know being hurt. She started to show some signs of being tired, which are things that we haven't seen in a significant period of time from Amanda Nunes. And then it eventually gets to the ground. Um, Pena locks in a rear naked choke, which wasn't even that deep in all honesty. And Juliana Pena ends up winning second round submission over the greatest um, women's mixed martial artist of all time by a long mile. And now um, I think it is safe to say that that was the biggest upset in UFC history. I don't think there's an if, I don't think there's a maybe. I think that is definitively the biggest upset of all time. When you look at how invincible Amanda Nunes has looked for such a long period of time, um, and, and she frankly just looked invincible and ahead, of the, ahead by miles of everyone else to where she loses and just didn't see it coming. Not, not this time, didn't see it coming. Um, however, I do think that Amanda didn't really look like herself. And I'm not trying to discredit Juliana Pena, but I th that's an ob observation that I had personally. We're watching this fight. You know, Amanda has been in there w with, in, you know, better strikers. You know, she's been in there with the cyborgs of the world. And she's been in there with Duran and me. And when she got into a brawl with Chris Cyborg, Chris Cyborg was knocked out you know, shortly after, right? There's not many fighters that can get into a brawl with Amanda Nunes, and Juliana Pena got in a brawl with Amanda Nunes and walked out on top, which is, if you were to tell me that there was a path to Juliana Pena winning this fight, I wouldn't have expected it to be her getting into a brawl, winning those exchanges, and then forcing the wrestling um, to come out. It's not what I was expecting at all, um, and it is very surprising. And, you know, we'll get some clarification. There will be a rematch. And if Juliana Pena does it again, then that takes all the questions out. Um, if Amanda, however, wins, then it'll kind of show like, oh, you know, this might have been 
a fluke. And that's the best thing about MMA is we will have that fight. We will see that fight. And uh, there won't be a question afterwards. Right now, there are some questions, you know, how, how, it's just how did that happen? Um, and, we, and we will get those answers. And regardless of the, the legacies at stake here, somehow Kayla Harrison walked out as the biggest loser. They had her in the front row. They've been negotiating with Kayla Harrison. There has been nothing, and as of, ever since she became a free agent, the UFC doesn't really talk much about fighters in other organizations, right? Um, especially when they're under contract. When they're not in contract, when, when they become a free agent, it becomes a slightly different story. Um, kind of test the waters, right? It happened with Michael Chandler, where you kind of test the waters and you throw the name out there. You can kind of, you can kind of, Dana can throw the name out there a little bit and see if it sticks. With Kayla Harrison, it stuck, obviously, because that, that Amanda Nunez and Kayla Harrison fight has had traction for over a year now, probably, maybe a little bit less than a year, but there's always been traction there. And that fight was, if Amanda Nunez won that fight and the UFC signed Kayla Harrison, um, the next fight for Amanda Nunez would have been Amanda Nunez versus Kayla Harrison at 145 pounds. Um... At this point, that that's not going to happen. We're going to get the immediate rematch. And if Nunez wins that fight, we might have to see a trilogy. So for Kayla Harrison, her big fight, her career-defining fight, you know, just got pushed back maybe a year. So for Kayla Harrison, this was absolutely terrible for her. And you got to feel for her because she's a great fighter. And you, it just doesn't look like she's going to get that opportunity um, that she once had. That that op- opportunity was right in front of her, and, and it got taken away, which you have to feel bad. Um, but I guess that's the sport. The sport changes very, very quickly. Moving on, Santiago Ponzinibbio versus Jeff Neal. I don't have a, have a breakdown of this one, really. Um, I don't want to say this was forgettable because it was a good fight, but watching this fight take place in between Sean O'Malley, Kaikar France, this fight, Amanda Nunes, Juliana Pena, Dustin Poirier, Charles Oliveira. It just kind of, it got, it, it, it was an unfortunate placement on the card. They were not supposed to fight in that spot. That was supposed to be in Leon Edwards versus Jorge Masvidal. Um, so they were kind of sunk in to a position where it was madness, madness, Jeff Neal, Santiago Ponzinibbio, madness, madness. Um, but you can't really blame each guy because each guy went out there to win and not um, get into a war, which is the smarter thing to do. So credit to them for that. But at the end of the day, Jeff Neal added, added a tremendous win onto his resume. Um, Santiago Pantanibio is a very skilled fighter, and he looks very good on a resume. Jeff Neal got a big opportunity against Wonder Boy, and unfortunately he lost that fight, but he's really working himself back up these rankings very efficiently, and he's fighting whoever the UFC offers him at this point. And, and I'm interested to see where he goes moving, fo- moving forward. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we see him versus Bilal Muhammad. Um, if Bilal Muhammad loses on Saturday, I think if Bilal wins, he's obviously going to fight higher up in the rankings. And if Wonderboy, that would mean Wonderboy would lose. And I don't see that rematch happening. 
So I think for Jeff Neal, he should probably be rooting for Wonder Boy on Saturday. Um, that kind of gives him some more options moving forward. But outside of that, um, I think Michael Chiesa also makes a level of sense where they're very close in the rankings. Chiesa's coming off a loss. Um, Jeff Neal's working his way up. I think it makes sense. For Santiago Panzanibio, I think he um, isn't going to get a ranked opponent next, but I think he's going to take on someone who is very skilled and someone who is just outside those rankings. Um, a similar position as Miguel Baeza, where Baeza was a top prospect who just wasn't ranked yet. Um, and I think we see that again. And I think in this form, it goes Daniel Rodriguez would be an interesting name. And Daniel Rodriguez might not be the best, um, might not be the best description of a prospect. But Daniel Rodriguez is a very talented guy who isn't in that top fifteen. And I think that is ultimately what we're looking for. And the other name is going to be Shev, Shevkat um, Rachmanov. He has looked tremendous so far in his UFC career, and he is probably now the best prospect outside of the rankings in that division. Um, Hazmat Chimaev, obviously tremendous prospect. Magal Baeza, another tremendous prospect. But um, since Baeza is coming off a loss, I think that Shevkat kind of jumps him um, in the in the head kick KO podcast um, prospect rankings or aka in in my mind so I think that that would be a really fun fight Ponzinibbio versus Shavkat and then we can kind of get some more um, some more, more more new names in that 170 pound division some of those some of these divisions need some Need some fresh faces. I think 170 is one of them. So I think uh, breaking either of those guys into the top 10. In this case, they would be getting into the top 15, but they would be working their way towards the top 10. Now, another absolutely tremendous fight, Cody Garbrandt versus Kai Car France. Kai Car France came in with the absolute best game plan you can for this fight. He hit Cody. He was able to connect, which is the hardest part about fighting Cody. Fighting Cody, once you connect, it gets a lot easier. Once you can land a good shot, the fight gets a lot easier for you. Up until that point, if you don't land that big shot, it's going to be a lot tougher because um, you don't want to let Cody Garbrandt start flowing. It's like Cody Garbrandt versus Dominic Cruz where Cody Garbrandt really started flowing in that fight. Um, you don't want to let Cody get to that point. You don't want to give Cody the opportunities to land shots like Rafael Assuncao did. Uh, Kai Car France came in and landed a big shot early and continuously pressured him while he was hurt. He never let him off the hook. And a lot of people are talking about the chin of Cody Garbrandt. Um, I'm not really concerned about the chin based off what we saw. We saw him get knocked once, get back up. You know, and then get, he got hit with a lot of big shots. It wasn't one that put him out flush. It was he got hit several times by several big shots. Um, and Kaikar Kai France slowly um, but surely put him away. So respect to Kaikar France for a career-defining victory and a tremendous performance. And he did so with a great game plan. Now the question for Kaikar France is, did he do enough to get that title shot um, in January, we're going to be looking for another title contender, 
right? Possibly. Because that fight's an interesting one. Um, the Moreno Figueredo trilogy. What do we do? What do we do if Brandon, or excuse me, what do we do if Devious and Figueredo won? Where we'd be sitting in a position where you've got Figueredo, who lost by draw in that, for, or I don't want to say lost by draw, but Figueredo, the first fight was a draw, but Figueredo lost a point. So he was really up on the judges' scorecards and, and lost a point. So it became a draw. And then Moreno dominates the second one. And if Moreno goes out there once again and dom- dominates, which I think Moreno wins, but if if Davies and Figueredo wins, we're looking at draw, and then you're split one and one. Do you do the fourth fight, right? I don't know. I do not know. Um, but it's an interesting question to be had. And another interesting question is, does a win over Cody Garbrandt, someone making his debut in the division, in terms of title contention, does it jump you over Askar Askarov? The two biggest names right now, um, not the two biggest names, excuse me, the two you know closest to that title shot are Askar Askarov and Alexander Alexandre Pantoja. Um, but Askar Askarov does have the leg up because I'm pretty sure he has a win over um, Pantoja. The, did Kai Car France do enough to jump all the way above um, Askar Askarov? When Askar Askarov is, um, I don't know the record off the top of my head, but Askar Askarov is a tremendous fighter. And I will pull up his record. Askar Askarov is 14-0-1 with his one being a tie, um, a draw with Brandon Moreno. Um, on the other hand, Kaikar France already has a loss to Brandon Moreno. So does that get you the title shot? Because well, at the end of the day, what's a more impressive win? Um, do you give the more impressive win to Askar Askarov, who beat Alexandre Pantoja, an established flyweight who has proven to be very good in that division or do you give it to Kaikar France who beat the champion coming down from another weight class um but that champion is on a little bit of a slide it's an interesting question and I'm not sure that I don't know the right answer because I think Kaikar France versus Brandon Moreno is is a tremendous fight but I'm not sure that Kaikar France is more deserving than Askar Askarov but at the same time, I'm not sure that Askar Askarov is more deserving than Kaikar France. And I've just talked in circles here for about five minutes on who's more deserving, Kaikar France or Askar Askarov. And that is the best way to show you that who knows? You know, it's very close. And if I had to pick right now, um, I bet they give it to Askar Askarov just because Dana didn't look to... You know, Dana hasn't been the one to say that this is a title eliminator for Kai Car France. I think Kai Car France was in an unfortunate position where this was a title eliminator for Cody, but not for him. That's happened to other guys, and I think he has found himself in that un- unfortunate position. Um, but I, th- I still think he's in a very good overall spot in this division. Moving on, Sean O'Malley versus Holian Paiva. This is another great performance by Sean O'Malley. Might be the best in his career, uh, considering who he was fighting. Paiva, you know, has 
recently came up from 125. And with that being said, he has a very good win against Kyler Phillips. So it's not like he hasn't done anything in the 135-pound division. He has a win over a highly, highly respected guy in that division and was ranked 15th in that division. So Holly and Paiva isn't a nobody. But Sean O'Malley, when he was able to connect, right, he landed a really big shot and was able to hurt Paiva. And the finishing instincts, those, the finishing instincts of Sean O'Malley are someone, are something that I love to see and someone who's unranked, right? Because there's going to be times down the road where, excuse me, there's going to be times down, down the road where you can't do what you did against Thomas Almeida right? There's going to be times where, for example, Kai Car France did that greatly as well, um, where he had Cody hurt and there, and, there, and there was no letting Cody stay in that fight. So it could be impressive, right? Sean O'Malley showed against Holly and Paiva where, you know, he's got the ability to the second he hurts you to put you out. Um, and he did it in an impressive fashion. The combos that he started letting rip against the cage when Paiva was backed up was tremendous. The hand speed, the variation in shot, right? It wasn't just hook, 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 hook. You know, he was mixing in hooks, straights, body shots, uppercuts, a lot of variation um, in type of attack and and um, where he was hitting. So great finishing against sticks. And Sean O'Malley proved again that he is as good as you know, the hype is telling you. Um, the hype isn't there for no reason, right? The hype is there because he has the speed and the ability to do that. And one of the interesting things was that when he when the tide started to turn in this fight and he really started to take over, it was done a lot through the boxing. It was, he landed some nice jabs. And when he hits a jab, when he was hitting Paiva with the jab, he was really connecting. Those were strong jabs, right? And coming from someone who, Sean O'Malley is obviously a good boxer. There's no debate about that. But Sean O'Malley has great kicks as well. And the tide really started to turn when the hands started to go. And he didn't attack at, at bad opportunities. He wasn't rushing things. He was taking things as they were given. And he was methodically landing. Then eventually, pop, the, the right hand lands and it lands hard. And then he's able to put him away. So a tremendous performance for Sean O'Malley. And Sean O'Malley is in a tremendous spot. Because Sean O'Malley can fight anybody. Sean O'Malley, you know, the only guy that he's fought ranked right now is Cheeto Vera. Um, you can put him against any one of those rankings and you can justify it in a way. Just about. Um, I imagine he gets moved to 15 in the rankings. Maybe he doesn't. Um, Cody Stammen sitting at 15 and, and, you know, he's a good fighter. So I wouldn't be surprised if they leave Cody at 15, um, just because at the same time, Cody Garbrandt is probably going to get bumped from the 135 pound rankings. So everybody slides up one. So that gives you another open spot in the rankings and Sean actually probably will fill that. Looking at the rankings, Giving him someone like Cody Stamen makes sense where Cody is a good enough, he's he's a good enough all-around fighter and Cody will try and challenge the wrestling. Sean Yadong makes sense where Song Yadong is, is a really fun fighter to watch and is very skilled. Frankie Edgar is another guy who will really test the wrestling 
And I'm not saying that Sean O'Malley, when I say test the wrestling, I'm not saying that because Sean O'Malley is bad um, at wrestling. I'm saying that because there's a lot of people who doubt that skill being there. There's a, I personally believe that Sean O'Malley probably has a, a strong ground game based off what I've seen outside of the cage. But there's a lot of people who won't believe it until they see it in the UFC octagon. And that is a reasonable thing, you know. Um, and I think Cody Stammen and um, Frankie Edgar will both make Sean O'Malley prove that he can wrestle. Right? Um, looking at the rest of that, the 10 to 15 um, spots in those rankings, you've got Rafael Asuncao at 12. Rafael Asuncao is currently going up against Ricky Simone. I think that that makes sense. Um, however, Rafael Asuncao is booked. Would have loved to see Asuncao because he is an experienced veteran who has fought some of the top guys. I'd love to see how Sean shapes up against him. But he's got that fight with Ricky Simone. Um, maybe if he, you know, maybe if he loses, you know, even if he loses or wins, that's the thing about Sean O'Malley, is the UFC can say anything they want when it comes to Sean O'Malley. They can say, oh, we're going to push Sean O'Malley. Um, Rafael Asuncao won. He gets to fight Sean O'Malley. Or they can say, we're going to take him slow. Rafael Asuncao is coming off a loss. If Rafael Asuncao loses, he might be unranked. So um, they could give him another unranked guy, per se. So that really makes sense, even if Rafael Asuncao loses, just because the UFC has so much flexibility in the narrative that they create surrounding a Sean O'Malley opponent. At 11, we have Marlon Vera, Marlon Chito Vera. I don't think that fight is going to happen um, right now. I think down the road that fight could happen. But I think the UFC is going to try and push Cheeto and Sean separately. I think you can push them separately and sell the rematch later down the road when they're both in the top 10 and both in the top 7, both in the top 5. And, you know, if it doesn't work out for one of them, then the fight doesn't happen, obviously. But I don't think you need to run that back. Um... It just, you know, I, I don't really see the need for it. And then the last fight I will entertain for Sean O'Malley out of the ranked guys is Marlon Morice. And Marlon Morice would be a tremendous fight for Sean O'Malley. Um, Marlon Morice, his last fight with Marab ended up being a war. Um, an incredibly entertaining fight. And if you look at his other fights, Marlon Morice is someone who has fought some of these top guys. Um, that Marlon Morice fight would be one that... You're trying to push Sean, right? If you pick the Marlon Moraes fight. Um, if you want to take it slow, Marlon Moraes isn't the fight. If you want to push him, I think Marlon Moraes is the fight. Uh, it's a good name on a resume. And even though Marlon Moraes hasn't won a lot as of late, um, it is still a name and, and a meaningful name in the sport. You know, Marlon Moraes has a win over the current champion. Um, so there's... And obviously, Styles make fights, but the name Marlon Moraes will always be meaningful in that bantamweight division for a, a while, a while. Um, once you move up from, from there, you get to the Dominic Cruz, the Pedro Munhoz, the Cody Garbrandt, Marab. None of those are going to happen, so I'm not even going to talk about those. However, we will talk about Dom Cruz later. Now, but before we talk about Dom Cruz, we obviously have Josh Emmett versus Dan Ige. Josh Emmett, tremendous performance, had a torn ACL, comes back, gets a win um, against Dan Ige, right? They didn't throw Josh Emmett in there with a bum when he comes back. They throw him in there with Dan Ige. 
Danny Gay is a tremendous fighter. And Josh Emmett looked very good. He gets the knockdown in the first round. He gets a clear uh, unanimous decision victory. Um, as as good of a fight that as that was, I don't think it was a 30-27. Someone scored it a 30-27. I think that's ridiculous. I think it's 29-28 Emmett very clearly. Whatever. It doesn't make a difference. Credit to Josh Emmett and his return. The question is, what is next for Josh Emmett? Josh Emmett was ranked number seven, tied with Giga Chikatse. Gets to win over number nine, Dan Ige. Where do we go? Me, personally, you've got number five, Kelvin Cater, matched with number seven, Giga Chikatse. I think you go Josh Emmett against Arnold Allen. I think that makes sense, right? And then if you look at the um, top portion of that division above Kelvin Cater, I think the winner of Giga Chikatse and um, Kelvin Cater and Arnold Allen and Josh Emmett, if you make those fights, they both get someone ranked in the top four. I think it makes sense, or you can pair them off against each other. Um, I, I really like that fight. Arnold Allen versus Josh Emmett. Um, Dan Ige, I think he's going to slide a little bit. Because Dan Ige has, is someone who everyone knows he's talented. And he's only lost to really talented fighters. Dan Ige, with his most recent loss, obviously, coming to Josh Emmett. Um, before that, he lost to the Korean Zombie. Um, what else does he have on here? Losses to Emmett. Korean Zombie, Kelvin Cater, with wins over Gavin Tucker and Edson Barbosa, right? So Danny Gave is obviously a great fighter. Um, but based off who he's already fought and the fact that he's lost two in a row, I think he slides a little bit, which isn't necessarily terrible. But I think he is looking at a prospect, right? Um, I don't think they do Bryce Mitchell. They booked Bryce Mitchell and Edson Barbosa, so they don't do Bryce Mitchell at all. I think 12 Sadiq Yusuf makes sense. Sadiq Yusuf is a very talented guy, one of the top prospects in that division. Loses to Arnold Allen, no shame in that. But I think Danny Ige and Sadiq Yusuf is a good fight to make. <clears throat> Moving on, Dominic Cruz and Pedro Munoz. Pedro Munoz got off to a stop, uh, or a hot start here, excuse me. He got two drops early, was touching up Dominic Cruz, had some success early. Dominic Cruz come back, comes back rounds two and three, and this is the most power we've seen Dom Cruz hit with in a while. Um, there was an exchange there where he landed, I think it was a big knee, and was really falling off with some really good hooks. Um, I thought he was was possibly looking at a finish. He doesn't get the finish, but he clearly wins rounds two and three. Walks away with a win. Um, once you let Dominic Cruz start flowing, you're in a bad spot. Um, and he started flowing, and Pedro Munoz faced the consequences. So Cruz looked really, really, really good, and I'm really impressed. Cruz, however... Might be the hardest person to match make because it's interesting how he gets booked with the champion Henry Cejudo, and then he has to fight an unranked guy with after he loses to Cejudo, and then you know he beats Casey Kenny, and he gets a fight against the eighth ranked guy, right? And he beats him very clearly, right? And now you've got the seventh ranked guy now, um, in. Cody Garbrandt, who's no longer going to be ranked. And you have um, 
Um, you have Marab. I don't think Cruz versus Marab makes sense necessarily. Do you do a Rob Font? Do do you do a Corey Sandhagen? Um, do you do a Jose Aldo? Um, is Dom Cruz still currently at that level? There's only one way to find out. But at the same time, there's only so many matches there, right? Do you do TJ versus Jose? If you do TJ versus Jose, that leaves you Sandhagen and Font. Um, Dominic Cruz didn't get matched up in that sequence. Um, so I, I'm interested to see where they go. I'm not going to be mad if they book him against an Aldo, against a Sandhagen, against a Font. Um, maybe I would be a little frustrated with Aldo because I think Aldo is, is really close to a title shot. And I think Aldo needs to fight TJ or Sandhagen. It's interesting and it's tough. It's really tough for Dominic Cruz. Um, I'm really interested. And actually, I, I just I, I just realized we didn't talk about what where Cody was going to go from here. But um, the match they make for Cody is interesting. Um, maybe Cody versus Dom Cruz for the rematch. Um, you know, maybe you do Dom, maybe Cody makes sense for Sean. Um, I don't imagine Cody stays at 125. I think if you lose, I just, I think it's easier to get out of bed at the end of the day and train for someone like Cody Garbrandt or, or Pedro Munoz or Marlon Marais. Um, Marlon Marais versus Cody Garbrandt actually makes a lot of sense. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing that fight at all. But I think it makes a lot more sense. and I think it's easier to motivate yourself to work to work out those 135-pound rankings and fight some of those guys, right? R- rather than when you're at 125 pounds and you just lost. And you and he lost to the number six guy. Um, you can fight Rodrigo Bojarin, Matt Matthias Nicolau, Matt Schnell, David Dvorak. You know, it's like, do you want to fight those guys or do you want to fight the Dom Cruises, the Pedro Munhoses, the Marlon Marises, the Cheeto Veras, the Frankie Edgars? Um, I just think it's easier at the end of the day to get up out of bed and, and train for someone who you you you've you've seen in the sport for a while. Um, and I might be wrong on that. I might be off on that. But I just think the name value there um, gives Cody a little bit more to go after. And I don't think the experiment at 125 pounds worked. And that's fine. Um, I called it an experiment for a reason. And it, it didn't work out for Cody. And that happens. Um, but I think we moved back to 135 pounds. Maybe he stays in the rankings. Maybe he doesn't. I'll be interested to see where the rankings have him on Tuesday. But... Um, I think Cody's going to take some time off, probably. I think a lot of guys take times off. It's the holidays. You know, a lot of guys are going to probably stop training for about a month. We're going to have to kickstart things again um, after the new year, probably. So a lot of these matches that I've talked about so far aren't going to happen right away. But, um, you know, there's there's going to be an interesting wave of matchmaking here at 135 pounds. When you're looking at the Cody Garbrandts, the Dominic Cruises, the Pedro Munhoses, the top the, the, the top guys who aren't matched, Dillashaw, Aldo, Sandhagen, Font, Marab, um, Marlon, you know, Asunsau, Edgar, um, Sean O'Malley, all these guys are unbooked. And we're going to start getting some matchups. 
Um, it might not be for a month. It might not be for two months, but these guys are going to start getting paired up with one another. And I think we're going to have another series of exciting fights to look forward to at 135 pounds, both at the top of that division and closer to the bottom 15. Moving on, the last fight we are going to talk about today. Um, that's going to be tied to Ivasa and Augusto Sakai. Um, Tai came in, and the thing that I said about Tai Tuivasa in the preview episode was, hey, Tai Tuivasa is very good at landing the big shot. A lot of guys can't land that big shot. A lot of guys at heavyweight have the power to knock you out, but lack the ability to land the shot that does it. Tai Tuivasa is not that guy. Tai Tuivasa will land, and that shot will put your lights out. Um, and that happened against Augusto Sakai. He gets him hurt initially. And that, that, that shot he landed that put Tai Tuivasa or put Augusto Sakai out was tremendous. And Augusto Sakai isn't a nobody, right? Tai Tuivasa did that against an established heavyweight. And I think the improvements Tai Tuivasa has made have been tremendous. Let me um pull up his what he's done in the UFC. But he's kind of turned his career around. He he's he's sneaky at fourteen and three. He's on a, a four fight win streak, yeah. And, you know, he, he was on a win streak, and, and he beat some guys in the UFC. He's got a lot of UFC fights. Um, he started his UFC career off 3-0, and um, the third one coming against Andre Orlovsky. And then he really got thrown into the Wolves, and he fought your junior Dos Santos. Didn't win that fight. He fought Blagnov Ivanov, did not win that fight. Fought Sergei Spivak, and he didn't win that fight. But um, after that... He has came back, and he has beat Stefan Struve, and he has beat Harry Hunsucker, and he has beat Greg Hardy. Um, those three guys, you know, Stefan Struve and Greg Hardy are, are established names, but um, a lot of people don't think they're the best guy out there, right? Even though they both have really good records, um, Harry Hunsucker isn't really like your your established guy at a hundred and or two hundred and eighty five pounds or two hundred sixty five pounds, excuse me. But Augusto Sakai, um, him doing what he's been doing and doing it to Augusto Sakai, um, is probably the best win of his career. The win against Andre Arlovsky is obviously a great win. Um, that was a decision, however. I think going out there and putting the lights out of Augusto Sakai the way he did it is very, 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 very impressive. And I think Tai Tuivasa is, is seeing ranked names from here once again, obviously. He beat the number one ranked or 11 ranked guy. Woo. He beat the 11th ranked guy. And he is going to get another ranked guy. The question is who? Who are we going? Um, the one fight that I don't want to see is Tom Aspinall. Let Tom Aspinall and let Tom Aspinall, Chris Dowskis, and um, and Ty Tuivasa all work up the heavyweight rankings separately. Right? That way, when they get to the top seven, when they get to the top five, when they Dowskis is already there, he's in the top seven, and if he beats Derek Lewis, he's he's close to a title shot. Um, but let those guys beat some established guys, right? 
don't burn those matchups with your bright prospects. Don't burn the Tom Espinal and Ty Tuivasa fight right now. Because if you burn that right now, in a year and a half, you're going to be looking at the heavyweight division going, well, everybody's already fought each other. That's what we've been dealing with, with with half these guys already. So don't burn those matchups until you're way closer to a title, right? So um, he'll probably be ranked 12th, I imagine. I don't think he jumps Ivovov just because um, Ivovov, Ivanov beat him. So I think he's in 11-12. doesn't make that big of a difference. Um, but I think Marcin Tabora makes sense. Um, and, yeah, I, 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 I like the Marcin Tabora fight. Um, on the other hand, for Augusto Sakai, I don't think he should slide too far because he's got some good UFC fights. I think he should stay fighting ranked guys. Um, there aren't a lot of unranked heavyweights that I am currently, you know, itching to see fight ranked opponents. Um, I honestly can't think of one off the top of my head of unranked heavyweights that, um, that, um, I want to see. And that just goes to show that the UFC needs to put some more resources in the heavyweight division. Um, that's a conversation for another day. The unranked guys at heavyweight, you have Alexander Romovov. He, Roman of, he's uh, got a bout scheduled, I believe. Um, why are there so many PFL, PFL and Bellator guys on here? Alexei Olenek and Greg Hardy are already booked. Andre Olofsky, oh, he's working back towards the rankings. That's interesting. Marcos Lima, Ben Rothwell, Alir Latifi, right? There isn't a lot of, a lot of unranked guys that are Alex Gustafson, whew. Right, there aren't a lot of unranked guys who are really working their way. Tanner Bozer, maybe, coming off a win over Ovin St. Pru. Uh, Juan Espinoza just lost. as a tough one in terms of prospects. There just aren't a lot of prospects running around in that division where, um, they're just like I said, there just aren't a lot of guys outside that top 15 right now that you really just need to see fight a ranked guy. So I think Augusto Sakai stays fighting ranked opponents. I think it comes in the form of Walt Harris. And that is the last fight we're going to talk about. I usually like to... Well, actually, we're going to talk about the main event of next week. I was going to skip the card. We're going to, we're going to make this brief. We've been going for a while. Um, my throat kind of hurts because last night was a tremendous UFC pay-per-view. And if your throat isn't sore after watching a UFC pay-per-view, I don't know if you had enough excitement watching it. Um, but we've got Derek Lewis and Chris Dauskas. Um, These two are going to come out boxing. Um, Derek Lewis has actually incre- become increasingly um, multidimensional as he's gotten older. Um, Eileen Derek Lewis, I think the experience is going to help. But I think Chris Dauskas could go out and catch an upset. And then... Um, let's make these rapid. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna let, let some predictions rip. Um, Wonder Boy versus Bilal Muhammad. I think Wonder Boy is going to be able to stay on the outside and pick Bilal Muhammad apart. I think that's going to be similar to the Jeff Neal fight. Um, so I'm going Wonder Boy. The Amanda Lemos versus Angela Hill. I'm going Amanda Lemos. I think she has ridiculous power. 
every time I watch the power in her hands at, at the division, I, every single time I'm surprised. So I'm going to pick her. I love Angela Hill, but every time I watch Lemos fight, I, I, I am thoroughly impressed. So I'm going Lemos. Rafaela Santo versus Ricky Simone. Rafaela, oh, I'm going Ricky Simone here. I just think that I've been impressed with his, some of his most recent performances. Um, Ricky Simone is someone who at one point a lot of people thought was the UFC champion. Um, a lot of people thought he had that caliber of talent. And then he, he, he's got a win over Marab. I'm just looking at his resume. Got a win over Montel Jackson, Ronnie Yanha, Ray Borg. Brian Kelleher, and, you know, he dropped some fights to Uriah Faber and Rob Font, no shame in that, but I think if Ricky Simone comes out and puts on his best performance, I think Ricky Simone walks away with a victory. And then we have Diego Fajeda versus Matez Gamrat, Gamrat being one of the best prospects at 155 pounds, and he is a part of an invasion of those rankings. Right. If you look at the top 15 rankings at the lightweight division, you've got Gregory Gillespie, Rafael Fazeev, Diego Fajeda, who's been around a little bit, Armin Sarukian, Brad Riddell, um, Joel Alvarez, a lot of really talented guys who are knocking on the door. Um, and I think that Matez Gamrat um, is going to add his name to that collection of ranked fighters. I think he beats Diego Fajeda. Um, I, I really think he's a tremendous fighter. We've got Cub Swanson versus Darren Elkins. Um, this is a this is a this is going to be a throwback war. I lean Cub Swanson. I'm leaning Cub Swanson. Um, skipping around a little bit. We're not going to talk about every single one. Um, Ronnie Barcelos versus Victor Henry. Give me Ronnie Barcelos. Um, he's a tremendous fighter, one of the top prospects at bantamweight. He recently suffered a loss, which pushed him back a little bit um, to Team War of Leave. But I think he gets back on track here against Victor Henry. Um, there's a reason he was one of the top prospects, but Victor Henry does have a very impressive resume um, fighting outside of the UFC, coming over. He's got some rising fights, so he has fought some really good competition. But I'm leaning towards Ronnie Barcelos. Uh, who else do we want to talk about here? Sarah Eubanks and Melissa Gatto. Give me Melissa Gatto. Um, does it have anything to do with the fighting? No, but um, Eubanks is one of the least likable fighters in the UFC. Um, she's not a great person. If you don't know anything about Sudiara Eubanks, um, go look into her, and I promise you, you will be reading rooting for Melissa Gatto in this fight. She is not a good person, so we're rooting for Melissa Gatto. Charles Jordan versus Andre Ewell might be a fun fight. Um, uh, give me Charles Jordan. Raquel Pennington versus Macy Chazon. Um, Pioneer in Raquel Pennington. You know, a little bit younger fighter in Macy Chazon. Not younger, but, um... 7-1, working her way up. Um, she's 30, so it's not like she's a, a young and coming out of nowhere. Um, so that should be an interesting fight in its own right. And that's the last fight we're going to talk about. So, but, you know, that's a really that's a really fun fight night card with five fights that um, from Louis Dowskis, Wonderboy Muhammad, um, Lemos Hill, Asuns House Simone, Fajeda Gamrat, Swanson Elkins, 
um, Barcelos, Henry, those are all really important fights. Um, if it, whether it be prospects, whether it be veterans, whether it be vying for spots and rankings, um, a lot of really important fights there. So um, I, I'm really excited. Um, that's a good fight night to end the year off on. Um, this was a really good pay-per-view. Um, the UFC has been on a, on a tremendous streak with their pay-per-views, and they added another one with UFC 269. And like always, I will be back next week to talk about UFC Fight Night Lewis versus Dowskis, and um, I'm excited to do that because, like I said, there are a lot of fun fights on that card. And before we get out of here, I would like to thank you for watching this episode of the Head Kick KO podcast. Make sure you tune in next week because we're going to be in the same place doing the same thing. Thank you. Goodbye.